Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has walked all the way through Dante's masterwork Inferno, the first of three canticles that make up his truly masterwork, comedy. We've come all the way to the bottom and all the way out the end, and I thought a long time about how to end Inferno. It is, after all, a majestic achievement of the imagination. How could we ever bring ourselves to pass on to Purgatorio? Well, we're not, at least for a few weeks. I'd like to explain to you what's about to happen, and I think it's an important way to end Inferno. We have been super in the weeds. (laughs) You couldn't even mow us out of the weeds sometimes. We were down in the weeds of the text like crazy throughout our passage of Inferno. That's all exactly the way I wanted it to be. It's how I thought of the podcast to begin with. But there were several times along the way where I thought to myself, my gosh, if you're listening to this and you don't know Dante's Inferno, you could be at a loss to figure out any forward momentum. So here's what I'd like to happen. Over the next several episodes of the podcast, I'd like to simply read you my translation of Inferno. We're going to take this bit by bit in this podcast. I'm actually going to read the first three cantos of Inferno in my translation. You can find this translation on my website, markscarboboto.com or walkingwithdante.com, but I'd encourage you not to find it there. I'd encourage you to treat this like books on tape, like someone reading you a story a story that is incredibly complex, incredibly detailed, but is nonetheless a story with a narrative through line. In order to do that, I think that it's best if you just sit back and let this happen around you. This is a strange way to end Inferno. I mean, we walked all the way to the bottom, came all the way up, saw the stars, and were out. How was I going to end it? I couldn't decide. And then I thought, you know what? We just need to feel Inferno, to feel the whole narrative scope. It's going to take us several episodes to get through it. You can tell right here, three cantos in one episode. It's going to take us several episodes to get through it. I totally believe in this because I totally believe in the narrative engine of comedy itself. Let's let this happen around us because I think it is just a fabulous way for it to go down. I'd like to kind of show you the Italian. I'm going to start each reading with a little taste of the medieval Florentine. My pronunciation is terrible. Please forgive it. But I'm going to start it and end it that way. And otherwise, I'm just going to read through my translation. No voices, no sound effects, just the text. So let's get going with Canto 1 through 3 of Inferno. Nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita mi ritrovai per un selvo oscuro che la dritta via era smarita. Ai, quanto a dire qual era la cosa dura, esta selva selvaggia e aspra e forte. In the middle of the journey of our life, I found myself 
in a dark wood, for the straight way was lost. Ah, how hard it is to say what that wood was, so savage and gnarled and hard that such a thought brings back my fear. It's so bitter that death is hardly more so. But to discuss the good I found there, I will tell the other things I saw. I cannot rightly say how I got there. I was so full of sleep at the moment when I abandoned the true way. But when I got to the foot of a hill where the valley ended that had pierced my heart with fear, I looked high up and saw its shoulders bathed in the rays of that planet that leads all of us straight along every path. Then the fear in the lake of my heart was calmed, the fear that had lasted all the night that I had spent in distress. And as someone with belabored breath who has gotten out of the deep and to the shore then looks back at the perilous water, so my mind, still fleeing, turned back to look once more at the pass no one has ever left alive. After I rested my body a little, I continued my way along the deserted slope so that my firmer foot was always the lower one. Then look out! Near the beginning of the climb, a leopard, light and very fast, covered with a spotted coat, refused to get out of my face and so blocked my way at every turn that again and again I had to go back. The time was early morning and the sun was rising with those stars that shone with it when divine love first set in motion all those gorgeous things. Because of the hour of the day and the sweet season, I still held on to hope, despite the beast with the gaudy pelt. But then I was struck with fear at the sight of a lion that appeared. He looked as if he was coming right at me, his head held high with insane hunger, so that the air seemed to tremble at him. What? Well, what's more, a she-wolf so emaciated that she seemed stricken with every kind of craving that had made many to live in wretchedness through such a heavy weight of terror over me, terror that overwhelmed me at the sight of her, that I lost all hope of getting up that hill. And like someone who eagerly counts his gains, but weeps and gets sad when the time comes for him to lose, so did that restless beast make me feel, coming against me, little by little, driving me back to where the sun was silent. While I was falling down the slope toward a low spot, a figure presented itself before my eyes, someone who seemed barely perceptible in that long silence. When I saw him in that vast wilderness, I cried out to him, Miserere on me, no matter what you are, either shade or true man. Not a man, he replied, though I once was a man, and my parents were Lombards, both with Mantua as their homeland. I was born subulio, although it was late, and I lived in Rome under good Augustus in the period of the false and lying gods. I was a poet and sang of that just son of Anchises who came up from Troy after proud Ilium was burned up. 
But you, why are you going back to all that sorrow? Why aren't you climbing this delightful mountain, which is the source and cause of every joy? Wait. Are you Virgil, the great fount that opens out into a big expanse of language? I bowed my head in shame when I answered him. Oh, glory and light of all the other poets, let my long studies and great love pay off all that I've done ever since I searched inside your volume. You are my master. You are my author. I got the beautiful style from you that has won me such honor. Look at the beast that has made me turn back. Save me from her famous sage, for she makes my veins and pulse quiver. You must commit to another road, he answered when he saw me start to cry. If you want to get out of this savage place, the beast that makes you wail doesn't let anyone get by that way. She will set upon you until she kills you. Her nature is so violent and insane that her greedy hunger is never satisfied. Once fed, she's hungrier than ever. Many are the animals with which she mates. And there will be even more until the greyhound will come, who will put her to a pain-filled death. He will not feed on land or wealth, but on wisdom, love, and virtue. His birthplace is between Feltro and Feltro. He will be the salving of humble Italy, for which the virgin Camilla died, as well as Eurylus, Turnus, and Nisus. He will hunt the beast in every little village until he sends her back to hell, that place where envy first let her loose. Therefore, I think it's wise and discerning for you to follow me, and I will be your guide and lead you from here to an eternal place where you will hear the wailing of despair and see the ancient souls in torment who eternally lament their second death. And then you'll see the souls who were content in the fire because they hope to come among, whenever it may be, the blessed people. If you want to ascend to these, there will be a soul more worthy than I. I'll leave you with her when I depart. For the emperor who sits on high has decided that I, who was a rebel against his law, should not ever come into his city. In every part he reigns and also rules, there is his city and his high seat. Happy is the one he chooses to be there. And I to him, poet, I beg you by this God you do not know, in order that I can get out of this evil, and even worse, lead me to the place you've described so that I may see St. Peter's Gate and the ones you say are filled with sorrow. Then he started off, and I went behind him. The day was waning, and the darkening air was freeing the creatures who live on earth from their labors. I alone was left to get myself ready for the coming war, that is, the journey and the sorrow, which unerring memory will retrace. Oh, muses, oh, high genius, help me now. Oh, memory that already wrote what I saw, your nobility will here become apparent. I began like this, poet, my guide. 
Consider if my strength is powerful enough before you trust me to the deep passage. You say that Silvius's father, while still corrupted, went to the immortal regions with his senses intact. Listen, that the adversary of all evil showed him such favor, given who and what he was, and even the high effect that came from him, seems perfectly right to a man of intellect, for he had been chosen in the Empyrean to be the father of Mother Rome and her empire. Both of these, to tell you the truth, were established to serve as the sacred location where St. Peter's successors have their throne. On this journey, which you affirm he made, he came to know things that moved him to win and set up things for the papal mantle. Next, The chosen vessel went there to bring back the confirmation of our faith, the first thing on the way to salvation. But I, why should I go there? Who permits it? I'm not Aeneas. I'm not Paul. Neither I nor anyone else deigns me worthy. And so if I do let go of myself and come with you, I fear the venture may turn out to be madness. You're wise. You understand what I'm trying to say. And as such a one who unwills what he's willed, changing his mind because of new thoughts so that he pulls back from what he's begun, just so was I on that dark slope. With too much thinking, I'd stopped what I'd begun. If I fully understand your words, replied that shade of that great one, your spirit is struck with cowardice, which so often constrains a man that he turns back from his honorable business like an animal that shies away when darkness falls. To free yourself from this fear, I'll tell you why I came and what I heard when I first felt your sorrow. I was with those who are suspended. When a lady called me, so blessed and beautiful that I begged her to command me, her eyes beamed brighter than the morning star, and when she started in with her gentle and soft words, like an angel's voice, she told me, O courteous Mantuan spirit, whose fame endures in the world and will endure while the world lasts, my friend, not the friend of fortune, is so blocked on a barren slope that he has turned back because of fear. From what I hear of him in heaven, I'm afraid he has so lost his way that I have risen too late to help him. Get going, and with your ornate words and anything else you need for his deliverance, help him so that I may be consoled. I am Beatrice, who sends you out. I am come from where I desire to return. Love moved me and makes me speak. When I am again before my Lord, I will often sing praises of you to him. She fell silent, and then I started off by saying... Lady of virtue, through whom alone humankind goes beyond what is contained in the smallest circle of heaven, your command pleases me so much that instant obedience would seem tardy. You have to do no more than reveal your desire, but tell me the reason you don't guard yourself when you descend to this central point from the expansive place where you long to be. Since you have such a deep yearning to know, she replied, I will briefly tell you why I'm not afraid to come here. You should fear only those things that have the power to harm you. Other things, 
Not so much. Those don't cause fear. I am made by God, by His grace, so that your pain doesn't touch me, nor can these flames hurt me. In heaven, there is a gracious lady moved with a great deal of pity for the one I'm sending you to. In fact, firm decrees have been broken by her. This lady summoned Lucy and said, Your faithful one now needs you, and I turn him over to your hand. Lucy, the enemy of all cruelty, got up and came to where I sat with the ancient Rachel and said, Beatrice, truly praiseworthy of God, why do you not aid the one who left the common crowd because of his love for you? Do you not hear his sorrowful anguish or see how he is beset by death in a flood that swells larger than the sea? No one on earth was ever so fast to gain an advantage or escape from loss as I was when those words were spoken by Lucy. I came down here from my blessed throne, placing my trust in your noble speech, which honors you and everyone who pays attention to it. When she had finished saying this to me, she averted her eyes, lit up with tears, which made me want to come here even faster. And I came to you just as she wanted and rescued you from the beast, blocking you from the short path up that beautiful mountain. So what's going on? What? Why do you hold back? Why do you nurture at heart all this cowardice? Why are you not bold and daring when three blessed ladies care for you in the court of heaven and when my words promise such good things for you? As little flowers, drooping and closed in the chill of night, straighten their stems and open up when the sun shines on them, just so was I in my failing strength. So much good courage rushed into my heart that, like a free man, I said to him, How compassionate was she who came to my aid! How courteous are you when you quickly obeyed the true words that she gave you! With your words, you have restored my heart with desire to come with you. My first purpose is now my goal. Let's go now with one will and undivided. You're my leader, Lord, and master. That's how I spoke to him, so that when he moved on, I entered into the deep and savage path. Through me is the way to the city of lamentation. Through me is the way to eternal sorrow. Through me is the way among the lost people. Justice moved my high maker. I was made by divine power, the sum of all wisdom, and primordial love. Before me, nothing created was made except for the eternal things, and I endure eternally. Abandon every hope, you who come in. I saw these words etched in shadowy colors written above the gate, at which I said, Master, the sense of it all is tough for me. And Virgil to me, as someone on the watch for what to say, Here, you must put all that away. You must put to death whatever makes you afraid. We have come to the place where I told you you will see the sorrowing people who have lost the good of their minds. And when he had placed his hand in mine, with a cheerful look that comforted me, he led me to the things that are unknown. Here sighs, cries, and high-pitched wailing resonated so loudly in the air without stars that I began to weep. Diverse languages 
horrible accents, words of woe, cries of anger, voices shrill and throaty, and the sound of hands smacking, swirled together in a storm through the stinking, timeless air like sand spins in a hurricane. Misconceptions so shrouded my head that I said, Master, what do I hear? And who are these people so conquered by pain? And Virgil said to me, This is the miserable state of the sorrowful spirits who lived by avoiding both disgrace and praise. Mingled among them is the bad band of angels who neither rebelled against God nor were loyal to him, but were for themselves alone. Heaven rejects them to maintain its beauty, and deep hell will not accept them for fear that those down below might have something to gloat about. And I said, Master, what so pains them that it makes them lament so loudly? And his response was, I'll be quite brief. Those here have no hope of death, and their blind life is so low that they are envious of every other state. The world above does not permit them to be known. Mercy and justice disdain them. Let's not talk about them. Look, and let's go. So I looked again and saw a banner whirling around the perimeter so fast that it didn't seem able to come to rest. A long train of people followed behind the banner, so many that I had not thought death had undone so many. Some of them I recognized. I even picked out the shade of that coward who made the great refusal. I instantly knew with full certainty that these were the sorry lot who displeased both God and his enemies. These wretches, who were never really alive, were naked and stung all over by swarms of flies and wasps. Their faces were streaked with blood, which mixed with their tears and streamed down to be sopped up at their feet by disgusting worms. Then, setting my gaze to look beyond them, I saw people on the shore of the big river, which made me say, Master, let me know who these are and what propensity makes them appear, or so I see them in this faded light, so eager to cross over. And Virgil said to me, You'll be told these things when we stop our steps at the sad shore of Acheron. Thus, with eyes lowered and shame-filled, fearful because my words maybe offended him, I stopped talking until we got to the river. Behold, coming toward us in a boat, I saw an old man with thinning white hair crying out, Curses on you, evil souls. Don't ever hope to see heaven. I come to transport you to the other shore, to eternal darkness, full of heat and cold. And you, over there, you living spirit... Get away from these who are dead. When he saw that I didn't budge, he said, By another way, by other ports, you will find a passage and cross. Not here. A lighter boat than mine must carry you. And my leader said to him, Don't torture yourself, Karen. This is willed where what is willed is what is done. Don't question us any more. At this, the ferryman's shaggy jowls relaxed as he guided his boat across the bruised swamp. 
though his eyes were set into wheels of fire. But those souls, exhausted and naked, changed color and gnashed their teeth as soon as they heard his cruel words. They cursed God and their parents, the human race, the place, the time, and the seed of their conception, and even their own birth. Then they drew close together with loud lamentation at the bad shore that awaits each person who does not fear God. The demon Karen, with eyes at burning coals, motioned to them and collected all of them, beating those who hesitated with his oar. As leaves in autumn let go and fall one after another until the branch sees all of its tatters on the ground, so also did these, the bad seed of Adam, cast themselves one by one from that shore when the sign was given like a falcon to its lure. And so they started to go across the dark water. But before they even got out onto the other shore, a new crowd gathered on this bank, my son, my courteous master said, all these who die under God's wrath come together here from every country, all ready to cross the river because divine justice goads them so that their fears morph into their desires. No good soul ever comes this way. So if Karen whines about you, you now know exactly what he means. As Virgil was finishing up, that dark plain shook so forcefully that even now the memory bathes me in sweat. A wind came up from the tear-soaked ground, flashing a scarlet light, which overpowered my feelings, and I collapsed like a person suddenly asleep. Finito questo. La buia campagna tremo si forte che dello spavento la mente di sudore ancor mi bagna. La terra lacrimosa diede viento che baleno una luce familia la qual mi vinse ciascun sentimento e cadi com l'om cui sono there they are, the first three cantos of Inferno in my English translation. I hope that you felt the sweep of that plot. I hope that you felt its movement. Come back next time. Find a comfy chair. Sit back. We got more cantos ahead of us. Read this podcast. Give it a comment if you would that would be fantastic subscribe to catch more and we're on our way to the final resolution of inferno which is to see it not as a series of interpretive points but as a story i'm mark scarborough i'll see you next time